Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online and also uh, those of our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also those with us at the hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us uh, for our study here today. As we are finishing up a little miniature marriage and relational series, marriage and other relationships. And so today is going to apply to all relationships, not just marriage, but friendships and work relationships and relationships here in the church and at school. Um, but tonight, uh, Kimberly and I, uh, Kimberly taught with me last Sunday morning and last Sunday night, but she's going to join me uh, Sunday night, tonight at five o'clock at Claremont at the Hub, and we're going to talk about the myth of the perfect marriage. And really, this is a great, almost an end to our marriage series, our little miniature marriage series, and also to our myth busters that we've been doing throughout the fall. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at five cultural myths about marriage. Five cultural myths about marriage that if you buy into these myths, it will damage your marriage. And if you dispel these myths, it will help and encourage your marriage. So Kimberly and I are going to be talking about that uh, tonight. I think it's going to be a really encouraging and helpful study and really hope you can come, maybe bring a friend uh, along with you. And then next Sunday, we're going to get whole hog into Christmas. It's going to be, the tree's going to be up and the lights are going to, the decorations are going to be up. And during the month of December, I will start a new Christmas series or Christmas topics throughout the month of December. But today we're going to talk about marriage and other relationships, uh, biblical principles for healthy relationships. Now, you can, there's many ideas that we have about heaven. And maybe uh, for you, you dream about the giant golf courses or the, uh, the video screens for football, five miles by two miles, you know, in the sky, uh, or maybe no football there. That will be heaven for you. I don't know. But, you know, you can take all that. I tell you what's going to be the best part of heaven, or one of the best parts, is that we're just going to get along with each other. Won't that be the best part of heaven? I mean, the upside of relationships without any of the downside of relationships, I mean, that to me would be uh, heaven. And would you agree that this side of heaven, the greatest highs in life have to do with relationships, and also the greatest lows in life also have to do with relationship? Anybody want to say amen to that? Of the greatest highs. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. When you either give agape, selfless love, a heavenly love to, to somebody else, or when you receive it, that's a taste of heaven. When you, for, that, for those brief moments when we don't think about ourselves, when we're unselfish, and we love another person as Jesus would, and we receive or we receive love in that way. That is like a taste of heaven. But also some of the greatest lows have to do with relationships. Look at Galatians 5, verse 15. If you go on hurting each other and tearing each other apart, be careful or you will completely destroy each other. Paul writes there, be careful if we just have kind of a low-grade nitpicking and critical spirit of each other. We just kind of are overly negative or critical, and we just hurt each other, hurt each other, and maybe it's kind of a low-grade kind of thing. We tear each other apart, tear each other apart. Paul says, be very careful because you may end up, we may end up completely destroying each other. You know, in the church, I like to describe it as a group of porcupines huddled together on a cold winter's night. 
And it's cold in the world. That's why we like to come together to get mutual encouragement. But the problem is we've got sin quills. You've got quills. i got quills. All, God, all God's children got quills. And uh, my sin quills, you ask Kimberly, are sharpened. And so when we huddle close to each other, we can are in danger of hurting each other. If we don't manage those quills, we will uh, hurt each other rather than re- receive the warmth that we want to against the outside culture, the outside society, the outside world. There's a great African proverb. I love it. It goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with someone. I like that. If you want to get somewhere fast, go by yourself. It's the easiest way. I mean, no group moves quickly. I mean, we had six children, and we never went anywhere fast. It was always a major, I always used to, my favorite saying was, off like a herd of snails. That's what uh, I used to say, because we were like a herd of snails. Uh, you, we, we just would not go fast. So if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, if you want to last, if you want to go the distance, go with someone. If you want a church that lasts for 144 years and still going strong, you go Together, you don't go it alone. Would everybody turn with me to the front of your program? And this is something that probably it's been there so much that it's like invisible to us. But if you look at the front of your program, upper left-hand corner, it says PFB purpose, and then it has our, our mission statement, our purpose, finding purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. This is exactly what we're talking about, what that African proverb is talking about. We find our purpose in Christ, but then we live it out in community with each other, and that's what enables us to last the journey. That's what enables us to go far, not just to go fast, but to go far if we go together. When faced with frustration, when overwhelmed with hurt or anger, when filled with apathy, when confronted with confusion, when struggling with selfishness, here's what we do. Number one, we thank God for our differences. It was God's idea to make people different. Parents are different than teenagers. Uh, generations are different from each other. There's the builder generation, the boomer generation, and buster, and millennials, and Gen X, next gen, and Gen X, and, 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 and we are different generations. God intended it that way. Men and women, uh, that was God's idea. Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Our differences was God's idea. And Paul says in Romans 15, verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. When we accept each other in spite of our differences, that brings praise to God. When we reject each other because of our differences, that keeps praise from God. See, the problem is we've got gaps. Uh, Last Sunday night at at Hub, we showed the famous uh, marriage uh, philosopher, Rocky Balboa, saying, yo, Adrian, you got gaps, I got gaps. Together, we ain't got no gaps. And and we've got gaps, and and we're we're different from each other, and so we're meant to complement each other like this. But just being a little bit off because of our sin nature, Just being a little bit off, instead of doing this, we end up doing this, and eventually we do this. And and so that's what we have to watch out, that our gaps are complementary and not competitive and not combative. Um, In the next five passages that you see there in your study outline, 
is one of the great stories of relationships, uh, failure, and then success in the Bible. Let me just tell it to you. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were the dynamos of the early first century. Uh, they, they were the Batman and Robin of the first century A.D., uh, they, they literally were used by God to change the world. I mean, these two men, Paul and Barnabas, literally were used by God to start the biggest movement in world history, the fastest growing movement in world history, the most pervasive, it's in every nook and cranny of the world, every ethnic group, every language group. The biggest movement in world history was started by two people, Paul and Barnabas, who were very different uh, from each other. Uh, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He was encouraging. He was kind. He was grace-filled. He wanted to give people a second chance. And then there was Paul. Paul was a hammer. He was a leader. He was a prophet. Uh, He was an evangelist. But the two of them together were like a perfect dynamic combination. And as long as they did this, they changed the world for Christ. But then it says that they had a disagreement and just ever so slightly, instead of doing this, they went like this. You see, in one of their missionary journeys, John Mark, sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called Mark, sometimes he's called John Mark, but he gave up in one of their missionary journeys and went back home, gave up, it was just too hard. So now they're going on another missionary journey and Paul says to Barnabas, let's go. And Barnabas says, yeah, and let's give John Mark a second chance. And Paul goes, no way. You see, Barnabas was a second chance kind of guy. Paul was not. Paul was like, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. He said the gospel is too important to depend on somebody again that failed us the last time. And it says, if you look in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. The greatest dynamic duo in all of history parted company because they went like this and then they went like this. Now, God was sovereign over the whole thing and Paul took Silas and he went in this direction and Barnabas took John Mark and they went in this direction. They covered twice as much territory. And at the end of his life, if you look in those other passages, Paul had to admit that he had been wrong and he should have given John Mark a second chance and that John Mark became a very, very valuable member of God's team uh, proclaiming the gospel of Christ throughout the Greco-Roman world. So number one, thank God for our differences. Number two, go to God with your disappointments. We have the life that we imagined and then the life that we actually live. How many of you, life has turned out differently than you thought it was going to turn out? Of course it has. We have this life that we imagine when we're like 20 or 21, and then we have the life that we actually live with, okay? Uh, And we've got to take those disappointments and and give them to God. I love this. It's uh, written by Cheryl Lavin. It's called Time Can Revise Your Soulmate List. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about the myth of the soulmate. And I've got an awesome clip I want to show you this evening as well. Uh, but, But time can revise the soulmate list. What I want in a man, she writes, her original list. Number one, handsome. Number two, charming. Number three, financially successful. Number four, caring listener. Number five, witty. Number six, in good shape. Number seven, dresses with style. Number eight, appreciates the finer things. Number nine, full of thoughtful surprises. Number 10, imaginative, romantic lover. What I want in a man, revised list, age 32. Nice looking, prefer hair on his head. (laughs) Opens car doors, holds chairs, has enough money for a nice dinner, listens more than he talks, laughs at my jokes, able to carry groceries with ease, owns at least one tie, 
appreciates a good home-cooked meal, remembers birthdays and anniversaries, seeks romance at least once a week. What I want in a man, revised list, age 42. Not too ugly. Um, Bald is okay. Yes. Uh, Doesn't drive off until I'm in the car. Works steady and splurges on dinner out occasionally. Nods head when I'm talking. Usually remembers the punchlines of jokes. Is in good enough shape to rearrange the furniture. Wears a shirt that covers his stomach. Remembers to put the toilet seat down. Shaves most weekends. What I want in a man, revised list, age 52. Keeps hair in nose and ears trimmed. Doesn't belch or scratch in public. Doesn't borrow money too often. Doesn't nod off when I'm venting. Doesn't tell the same joke too many times. Is in good enough shape to get off the couch on weekends. Usually wears matching socks and fresh underwear. Appreciates a good TV dinner. Remembers my name. And uh, shaves on some weekends. What I want in a man. Soulmate list. Revised list. Age 62. Doesn't scare small children. Remembers where the bathroom is. Doesn't require much money for upkeep. Only snores lightly when asleep. Remembers why he's laughing. Is in good enough shape to stand up by himself. Usually wears some clothes. Likes soft foods. Remembers where he left his teeth. Remembers that it is the weekend. What I want in a man, revised list, age 72. Breathing. Number two, doesn't miss the toilet. So there you go. So we have the life that we imagined. We have the person in our life that we imagined. And then we have the one we actually live with. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. And I love this phrase. Making allowance for each other's faults. What a beautiful phrase. Making allowance for each other's faults. Recognizing I have faults, so I need to make allowance for the faults in others. I have flaws, so I need to make allowance for the flaws and faults in others because of your love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Disappointments in relationships. Next page of your study outline. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 7 says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, Um, We're starting to think about what gifts we're going to get people during the Christmas season. Well, in our imperfection, we can usually come up with a reasonably good gift. But God is perfect, and that means that every gift he gives us is a good good gift, even though it doesn't seem so uh, sometimes. The people in our life are there for a reason. They're a gift from God. Now, that's really hard, isn't it? Think of the hardest person in your life right now. Think of the most difficult person to be around in your life. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Think of that person right now. And my guess would be is that you didn't think to thank God for them on Thanksgiving Day. They're usually not at the top of our thank you God list. But maybe God has put that person in my life or in your life to be the sandpaper to rub off the rough edges. Maybe that person is there to make us more like Jesus over time, okay? That, that coworker, that spouse, 
that child, that roommate. A few years ago, Kimberly and I went to one of her alumni events. She graduated from Boston University. And so they had a dinner before they went to the Hollywood Bowl, and it was kind of the Boston University night at the Hollywood Bowl. And so we happened to sit by the dean of students from Boston University, a huge school, like, what, thirty or 40,000 students or something like that. And here's this man uh, steeped in academia. He's a, you know, thoroughly an academic animal. And he said to us the most interesting thing. He said, you know the, the, the most important thing our students will learn during their time at BU? He said, it's not anything they learn in the classroom. It's how to handle living with a roommate. That's the most important thing they'll take away from college is that that difficult person, particularly your freshman year when you don't get to pick who you room with. I remember as a Southern Virginia boy near the North Carolina border and all of a sudden I'm thrown in with my freshman roommate and a a, a fast-talking New Englander pre-med guy from Boston, Massachusetts. And we are friends today, but man, at the beginning, it was tough to negotiate that whole roommate thing. And yet, God uses those people in our lives. That's how we grow. It's why what we need in church. So many people today have abandoned the church. They say, yeah, we're into Jesus, but we're not into the church. The church is where you grow from other people. It, it, is, it is even sometimes the difficult people in your church family, as well as the people you'll naturally gravitate to. That is, that is how we grow. And I think the reason why Christianity in America is an inch deep and a mile wide is because people say, yay, Jesus, but no to the church, because the church is where you grow deep. It's where you get along with people you wouldn't normally be thrust in with. It's where you rub shoulders with people that ordinarily you may not rub shoulders with. And from that comes depth in life. From that comes growth. It's a gift from God. Receive your friend or your spouse as a gift from God. Genesis 2, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. He's naming the animals. Yak, zebra, orangutan. You know, he's getting bored. He's running out of names. And all of a sudden, God brings him this new creature. And he looks up, and he goes, whoa, man. Whoa, man. And he writes it down. It's right there in the original Hebrew. You check it out. It's not. I'm lying right now. Okay, here we go. She will be called, whoa, man, because she was taken from the man. Your friend or your spouse's weaknesses have a divine purpose in your life. Weaknesses are tools of God to cause you to trust him. Boy, is there ever an area where you need to trust God more than in a difficult relationship? Do you ever feel more out of control than when you've got a difficult relationship? We just cry out to God, God, I got to trust you. This thing is hard. Number two, weaknesses are not a hindrance to achieving God's purposes in your life. We'll talk about this a little bit more tonight. But two dangerous words, if only. We can spend our life saying, if only she were more like this. If only he was less like that. If, if only this thing had not happened to me. If only this thing had happened to me. We can spend our life saying, if only. And I think we're going to get to heaven and find out that God used our weaknesses every bit as much of our strengths, maybe even more than our strengths, to fulfill his purpose and plan within our lives. Weaknesses are only changed in a climate of love and acceptance. Now, this is counterintuitive because the natural human tendency is to think the best way to change a person is nag them to death. 
And I'm not kidding. I mean, that really is your natural instinct, isn't it? I mean, you're, I mean, it makes sense. Doesn't it make sense? You just tell the person what you don't like about them, and you just remind them of it on a regular basis. Okay, that, that makes sense. How many have found that that doesn't work all that well? Change happens best in a climate of love and acceptance. Uh, Kent and Mary Dyer have built just a fabulous marriage ministry here. By the way, um, if you look on page two, you'll see uh, Juan and Nina Amaral, and, who are now the head of the ministry, and, and our marriage mentoring ministry. And then you look on page seven, and you can see biblical marriage classes to, to encourage, to make good marriages better. Uh, they meet at 830, 945, and 11.11. The best marriage speakers in America. It's a video-based class, but what a, what a gift. When I've watched any of the things that they've watched, these are just the best marriage communicators in America. It's just a marriage enrichment thing going on. Well, well Kent and Mary, um, uh, they were at an event a number of years back, and Mary read this poem called The Longlyweds Know, as opposed to The Newlyweds, The Longlyweds. The Longlyweds know that it isn't about the golden 50th anniversary at all but about all the unremarkable years that Hallmark doesn't even make a card for. It's about the second anniversary when they were surprised to find that they cared for each other more than last year. And the fourth when both kids had chicken pox and she threw her shoe at him for no real reason. It's about the 11th and 12th and 13th years when they discovered that they could survive a crisis. And the 22nd anniversary when they looked at each other across the empty nest and found that it was good. It's about the 37th year when she finally decided she could never change him. And the 38th, when he decided that a little change wasn't that bad after all. It's about the 46th anniversary when they both bought cards and forgot to give them to each other. But most of all, it's about the end of the 49th year when they discovered you don't have to be old to have your, 90, your 50th anniversary. You do have to be old to have your 90th anniversary. That, that would be old, you know. What by that jumped into my mind is I met this lady this morning. She and her husband, my goodness, she was the spryest. I mean, I, I thought she was 60 or 70. She was 95 years old. And she's bouncing around here. That had nothing to do with the message, but I just thought I would mention it. She just was like, my goodness. I was, um, I was blown away. To reject your friend or your spouse in any way is to reject God and his provision for your life to demonstrate unbelief and disobedience towards God, to fail to fulfill God's plan and purposes for your relationship and for your marriage. And then number three, trust God with your feelings. Love is both a feeling and an action, and you will find that if you continue to act in a loving way, even when the feelings leave you, the feelings will come back eventually. Keep acting as if you're in love, even when you don't feel in love, and the feelings of love will return. You know, I hesitated using him as an example, uh, this uh, quote from Lance Armstrong because of the whole steroids controversy, and so I'm not using him as an example of, of morality, but I think we'd all agree Lance Armstrong was a hard worker. My goodness, anybody that can come back from cancer and win five uh, Tour de France's, I mean, the, the guy knew how to work. As a five-time Tour de France winner, Lance Armstrong knows more than most people about the importance of hard work. In his book, Every Second Counts, Armstrong describes his regret that he did not put the same hard work into his marriage that he put into his bike racing. All I knew was that in trying to do everything, we had forgotten to do the most important thing. We forgot to be married. 
People warn you that marriage is hard work, but you don't listen. You talk about the pretty bridesmaids' dresses, but you don't talk about what happens next, about how difficult it will be to stay or to rebuild. What nobody tells you is that there will be more than just some hard days. There will be some hard weeks and perhaps even some hard years. And yet if you continue to act on that commitment you made to each other, even the hard years will pass and you will find joy at the other end of that experience. Psalm 62, people trust God all the time. Tell him all your problems because God is our protection. Hebrews says we can trust God to do what he promised. I love this verse that Jeremiah writes in Lamentations. Turn us around and bring us back to you again. That is our only hope. Give us back the joys that we used to have. And that's true in your relationship with God. You go through a dry period in your walk with God. Still act as if you love God, even if the feelings aren't there sometimes. And he said, Jeremiah says here, God will give you the joys that you used to have. Same thing is true in relationships. You act in a loving way even when you don't feel like it, and then you pray, oh God, give us back the joys that we used to have. Number four, ask God for his direction. First of all, through his word. Boy, you know, we just need to be in God's word every day. Be thinking now about a Bible reading plan for 2015. And we'll give you some ideas as we get closer to the end of the month because that's the most important thing you can commit to. And in your relationships as well, nothing helps relationships more than being regularly in God's Word. I find so much help for my relationships in God's Word. Billy Graham had, has this lifetime commitment he made to read through the entire Psalms and the entire book of Proverbs once a month. And the easy way to do it, you just read, maybe you could do this in December, starting tomorrow, December 1st, and then pick up a new Bible reading program in January. How about start this tomorrow? If you read one chapter of Proverbs a day and five chapters of Psalms a, a day, you'll get through them because five times about 30 days is 150. There's 150 Psalms. And then there's 31 chapters to Proverbs. So 31 days in December, one chapter a day, and you'll get through Proverbs. And the reason he does that is because Psalms builds your relationship vertically between you and God. And Proverbs builds your relationship horizontally between us and other people. There's so much in the book of Proverbs about healthy relationships. And then number two, God's people. We need each other in the church. We need each other. We, we, God guides us through each other. Psalm 141, let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. If a godly friend of mine tells me something that I don't want to hear, and even if it hurts and reveals light on a blind spot of mine, uh, let him strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses and flattery. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And then number five, look to Jesus as your example. Look to Jesus as your example. A couple of little boys, Kevin age five and Ryan age three, are sitting down to breakfast. Their mom is bringing in pancakes. She brings them the first pancake, and they both grab for it. The mom decides that this is a great moment to teach them a moral lesson. She says, if Jesus were here, he would give his brother the first pancake, then he'd sit and wait patiently. So Kevin looks at his little brother and says, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) We all want everybody else to be Jesus instead of us being Jesus. 
Tom Holliday says, one of the ways you become unselfish is by giving yourself a selfish reason for being unselfish. And that is the blessings of God come from being unselfish. And then you learn the joys in and of itself of being unselfish, even if initially we do it simply to get the blessing of God. Paul writes, be kind and loving to each other. Forgive each other just as God forgave you in Christ. You cry out the most practical thing you can do in your marriage. The most practical thing you can do in any relationship is just call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, this woman's driving me crazy. Dear Jesus, and it's amazing. It's amazing how he comes through with that. Philippians 2, look down at verse 5. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Now, the only way to do that, the only way to have the power of Jesus living his life through you. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way to do that is to open up your heart and have the presence of Jesus in your life. Then you'll have the power of Jesus in your relationships. If everybody would look to the next page and the upper left-hand corner of the next page, how to become a follower of Jesus. What better way to enter the Christmas season than to make sure you have Jesus in your life and then in your relationships. You admit your condition before God. God, I admit that in my relationships, I have not loved other people as I should love them. But we believe that Jesus is God's solution. Through Jesus, I can be forgiven for the wrong attitudes I've had in my relationships. And I can have the power to live in a way that honors God. If I choose to follow Christ as your Savior and Lord, Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word, that's what you're doing right now, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but they have crossed over from death to life. Do you want to do that right now? Would you pray silently as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. amen. Right underneath it, you'll see unwrap your gift. And if you made, if you prayed that prayer at the guest center on the south end of the lobby and the north end of the lobby, the guest center, there's a free package of resources that we'd love to give you in your walk with Jesus. No obligation, no pressure. Just stop by there. If you'd like to talk to somebody, there's somebody to talk to. But if you just want to pick up that packet, uh, I invite you to let this be the first Christmas gift from our church uh, to you this Christmas season. When we have Jesus in our heart and in our relationships, then we can see miracles happen in our relationships. And as I close, would you think of the person that you have the most difficult relationship with right now? Just think of that person right now, and let's claim the miraculous for that relationship. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. According to his power,
that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.